you got to start thinking about not necessarily playing defense, but starting to take your foot off the gas a little bit here in terms of where we are in the economy. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As the year comes to a dramatic close with Omicron uncertainty dominating headlines, investors are looking for guidance on positioning their portfolios for 2022. In today's episode, Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee, along with your host, Mark Rays, discuss the economic implications of the latest variant. They also open the hood on a positive 2021 to look at distinct components that fueled strong overall market performance and highlight opportunities for growth in 2022. Our experts also outline MSCI ESG rating strategies and the stabilizing impact of Canadian banks. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Game Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We really appreciate it. We're joined today by Chris McKaney and Alfred Lee, both are portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, thank Mark. You, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Get right into things here. We're quickly approaching the end of the year. So we're being asked from advisors about factor rotation and what to expect next year. So can you comment on what factor approach has outperformed this year in 2021? And as you look to 2022, what factor is poised to lead the way? And as well, as you as you discuss that, how would you tie that into where we are in the market cycle? Sure thing. And, you know, as you say, coming into the end of the year, that really spurs a lot of, A, you know, let's look back at what happened in 2021. And then B, let's also look forward at what might happen in 2022. You know, interesting, we, we like to choose the, the arbitrary uh, start and end points of a calendar year to, to see what has been working in the market. But really, if you take a look at it from a factor perspective, there's really been two distinct periods here in terms of perform what factors were performing throughout 2021. You know, we had early in the year, really call it the first half of the year, um, the value trade and the small cap trade were really the ones that were dominating the market. And if you think back to when this started, it really was November of 2020, when we first got the news of the vaccines, those first few vaccines coming out from Pfizer, um, that really spurred what's what's now called really the reopening trade, you know, the idea that there could be an end to this pandemic um, and, you know, the economy will go, quote unquote, back to normal. So that spurred a lot of the value oriented stocks to unlock that value and, and really start to grow. And same as the small cap, you know, those domestically oriented companies um, that were probably hit worse by you know, lockdowns and, and economic shutdowns. The thought was, you know, these would these companies would would enjoy back to normal type growth and, and and economics. So that's really what drove 
uh, again, starting in November of 2020 and then through the first half of 2021, that's really what drove the market um, outpacing the S&P 500 in the U.S. Um, and the major indices in, in both Canada and, and international as well. But now fast forward a, a year here, we're back in the same place and we're still waiting for the end of this pandemic where we still don't have um, the end in sight necessarily. And really that view started to change uh, around mid-year in 2021. And so those value and small cap type companies that performed so well in the first half of the year really started to start to trade sideways a bit more and, and that growth became a bit more muted. And then we saw other factors like quality in particular, but dividends as well, um, you know, really start to pick up in the second half of the year. You know, by all accounts, and I, I'm largely using the U.S. market as a proxy here, but it's similar um, stories in both Canada and international, as I mentioned. But if you take a look at the equity markets, by all accounts, it has been a pretty strong year for equity markets. You know, S&P 500 and Canadian dollars is up about 26% right now year to date, um, with about half of that coming uh, in the first half of the year and another half in the second half of the year. Um, so again, it's really been the factors that are driving that that have changed underneath the hood, but the S&P 500 as a whole and, and the um, broad market as a whole has done fairly well throughout uh, the entire year. Um, so again, it's really, um, you know, what's been going on underneath uh, the hood that's, that's changed. And so looking forward, uh, into 2022, you know, what do we expect to continue? Will things change? And I think, you know, it does depend on your outlook as to where you might position yourself. Um, but as I mentioned previously, if you're thinking about uh, a quote unquote return to normal or, um, you know, if, if the new variants start to move aside and vaccines really take hold and we move past this pandemic phase um, into an endemic phase with this virus, um, if investors think that Goldilocks sort of environment is, is going to return, um, then it would be value and small caps and, and those sort of sectors, um, you know, to some degree dividends as well, um, that will outperform the broad market or should outperform the broad market in that sort of environment. But what we've seen over the last couple months and likely what's more likely to happen going into 2022 is starting to enter a phase of slower growth. And that doesn't mean we're not growing and the economy is not growing. It's just that we've, we've reached the peak um, and we've seen, you know, GDP prints of over 6% um, in North America. And so, you know, if you think that's going to start to decelerate into that 3 4% range or, or even, you know, eventually lower um, back to quote unquote normal growth, um, you know, really where you do want to be positioned is in the quality factor or perhaps dividends or even low volatility. So you got to start thinking about, um, not necessarily playing defense, but starting to take your foot off the gas a little bit here. So we're not, you know, we're not putting on the brakes, but we're starting to take the foot off the gas a little bit uh, in terms of where we are in the economy um, and the economic environment you want to be in and how you want to invest around that. So those, those factors that I mentioned that have been working the first half of the year, value, small cap, those are really, you know, higher risk um, factors relative to the broad market. So again, it's, it's putting your foot fully on the gas and, and capturing all of that growth that you can. When you start looking at quality, that starts to be, you know, volatility-wise or risk-wise, much closer to what the broad market provides. And then the dividend and low vol um, clearly are, are more on the lower risk side of things, again, relative to the broad market. So um, as the economy starts to slow down, again, we're still seeing decent economic growth going forward, 
Um, but those numbers are going to start getting smaller and smaller. And so as we move further along um, through that process, you want to start thinking more about those uh, defensively oriented factors. So again, things like low volatility is, is obviously the, the lowest risk factor we're talking about here, um, but dividends as well would be, would be right behind that. And then quality is really that one that gives you the best of both worlds. That, that kind of keeps one foot in and one foot out, so to speak, in terms of providing market exposure, market growth, but doing it in those quality oriented companies that might be a little bit more defensively oriented because if there is another pullback, um, you know, those stocks tend to sell off a little bit less. Those quality oriented stocks sell off a little bit less. So um, looking forward to 2022, I would say, you know, stick with that quality factor. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about it on this podcast over the last year or so in terms of keeping skin in the game, so to speak. But as you get further along in this market cycle, start thinking about mixing, mixing in the dividends and the low vol. Um, you know, again, I've been talking about the U.S. market in general um, as a proxy for, for overall uh, market environment. So just using some of these tickers, ZUQ being the quality oriented ETF uh, for U.S. equity exposure, ZDY is your dividends, ZLU would be the low vol. Um, each of those would have a, a currency hedge version as well, um, if you're looking at, at currency hedging also. So, so take a look at that. Um, but those are really where I would start to position looking into 2022. Again, keep that quality factor in there. You want to, to, to capture that growth that is still coming, but eventually we're going to have to start thinking about mixing in some of those defensively oriented factors. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. A good cover across the uh, spectrum of factors. And of course, we can't ignore as well when you talk about the U.S., uh, the S&P 500 itself, which still remains a, a core position across portfolios and certainly looks good heading into the new year. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to listen to our special Quarterly Banks episode. That's episode 106 in this same podcast series, where we take a look at big six Q4 earnings and ETF strategies to access this portfolio mainstay sector. I want to talk now about uh, an opportunity around growth, uh, because certainly we talk about, you know, as you mentioned, the new variant being very much on the rise. And it sort of feels like every time we start heading towards normal, we, we come back to, to, to COVID times. But looking into 2022, are new economy companies fairly valued? And with the slight pullback we've experienced of late, would you look at the NASDAQ was that NQ or innovation? Was that INN? Thanks. Sure, Mark. And as you say, um, and as we were just talking about, we have seen some of these companies, these growth-oriented companies, start to slow down in the last, um, call it a couple of months or so, again, with concern around new variants. What is economic growth going to be going forward? Are we going to have a continued headwind from different variants in different parts of the global economy either being shut or at least closed down or restricted to some degree. When you take a look at these growth-oriented ETFs, you mentioned ZNQ, the NASDAQ, or our innovation, our primary innovation ETF, ZINN. And if you take a look at some of the top holdings, they're, they're actually pretty similar across uh, both of these uh, ETFs. You know, you have Tesla in there, PayPal, Google, and a couple other, you know, familiar names, NVIDIA, 
uh, would be familiar to a lot of people. And so you, you, you might think these are actually very similar, but you know, you start to look under the hood and it's the bulk of the, uh, the ETF and the index that these ETFs track or the indices that e these ETFs track that, that really do provide the distinction there. And they are two quite different things. What we've seen from the NASDAQ um, recently is, I wouldn't say as much of a pullback as more of a, a slowdown. We've seen the, the uh, you know, we're certainly off the highs, but not by too much. And it's kind of been trading sideways over, over the last month or two. Whereas with this innovation suite of, of, of holdings, we really have seen a pullback um, from the highs over the last couple of months. That's, that's a bit stronger in terms of the magnitude. You know, in terms of where to go in 2022 and depending on how things look again with the pandemic and how that unfolds, you know, I, I might have to hedge my bet here a little bit in terms of what your objective is when it comes to investing might determine which of these you look at in terms of an investment. I would say the NASDAQ, the ZNQ is an exposure, a growth exposure that's more for investors that are looking for growth over the next couple of years. Whereas if you have a much longer term horizon, um, the, the innovation funds, that ZINN exposure, that's really expected to capture growth over the, the much longer term. Um, and so if that's your holding period, if that's what you're looking for is that long, long-term growth, um, you know, ZINN would be a, a great thing to add to here. Um, you know, certainly someone like Kathy Wood might say any pullback in that innovation sector um, is a great opportunity to add as long as you're doing it with an eye to the long term. And that means five plus years, potentially 10 years even, um, as, you, as you say, you call them the new economy companies. Um, are they fully valued? Are they fairly valued? Well, it really depends, again, on what happens over the long term. So as these pullbacks come, think of them as opportunities to invest or to add to um, any exposure to that. Again, as long as your um, focus is on that much longer term uh, horizon. The NASDAQ contains companies that are really the leaders of today, if you think about it like that. Companies like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, um, those are companies that are cash gener generative and will do well in a, in a strong market environment and will do well today with, with cash being generated by their companies today. Um, whereas uh, those innovation suite type strategies or, or companies have a lot longer term time horizon in terms of where they're expected to make their cash and, and how they're going to grow into that to that model. So uh, again, it's really about your 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 time horizon when it comes to investing. I think the Nasdaq is a great place to capture growth, and again, something that will have the market leaders for the next few years certainly um, as a great resource or source of of, of market growth. Um, but again, if you're looking much longer term, five, ten, five years, 10 years or more, um, that innovation suite is really going to be those new economy companies. And I think, you know, this new variant that we're talking about, the, the, the restrictions that are coming back in play, it's just a reminder that growth and innovation over the long term doesn't happen in a straight line, right? You're, you're not going to get from point A to point B um, in a straight line. There's, there's always these, these ups and downs along the way. Um, and so as long as your time horizon hasn't changed and your investment thesis hasn't changed, um, you know, use these pullbacks as uh, an opportunity for dollar cost averaging um, and maintain that exposure that, that, that you've created in, into, these, uh, into these exposures. Um, but again, if you're looking for something that's a bit, let's call it a little bit safer, even though the NASDAQ is a high growth so, sort of strategy um, or index, um, if you want something a little bit that's going to be a little less volatile than those innovation type 
companies and the ZINN exposure. Um, look to the NASDAQ for more consistent growth um, that, that you'll get more likely year in and year out. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Now let's move over to fixed income, where, of course, inflation continues to be a hot topic. And we've had the Bank of Canada uh, most recently come out and say that they're going to maintain their inflation mandate. Uh, but certainly, again, as we look ahead into into the next year, there's there's concerns then that inflation will continue on the path that it's on. So as you look at the curve, are there specific concerns on the short end uh, that you're thinking about, knowing that advisors typically have shorter duration than the market? And as well, your thoughts for fixed income opportunities looking forward. Thanks. Sure. So, um, you know, you're definitely right. I mean, when you look at inflation, it's uh, still very topical. So Canada reported its uh, CPI number this morning, uh, came in at 4.7% for November. So that's a year over year number. Um, expectations were essentially 4.7%. So uh, in line with expectations, but definitely a lot higher than the uh, target inflation rate that the Bank of Canada likes to run with. Uh, when you look at volatility on the short end of the curve, definitely has picked up over the last three months. Um, so just looking at the Canadian two-year, um, just looking back at early September, the Canadian two-year was trading at about 40 basis points. Uh, just a week ago, it was trading at 1.2%, very close to 1.2%. So definitely a lot of volatility on the short end of the curve. I think you know over the last three months, um, the market has started to price in a lot of hawkishness by the Bank of Canada. Uh, when you look at interest rate expectations and what the market is anticipating for you know, interest rate hikes for 2022, that's, tr- that's changed dramatically over the last three months. So in early September, uh, the market was anticipating only one rate hike for all of 2022. But looking at uh, interest rate expectations this morning, um, the market is now anticipating five rate hikes for all of 2022. So, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that the Bank of Canada has eight meetings throughout the year. Um, so to think that they're going to go five for, five for eight, assuming that they're going to move you know, a quarter point hike at, at a time, um, that's pretty aggressive, especially considering that, you know, the market doesn't anticipate the Bank of Canada to start raising rates until, you know, March or April at the earliest. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, I think, you know, if you are anticipating five rate hikes, I think that is a, it is a very aggressive target. A lot has to happen um, for that to essentially play out. So when you look at, you know, the ongoing variant, um you know, Chris talked about uh, potential restrictions and you talk about, you know, policy response by the government, uh, depending on how it plays out and depending on what kind of lockdowns we see, if we see lockdowns, that potentially takes, you know, may- maybe one rate hike, two rate hikes off the table. Um, and then additionally, when you factor in things that aren't priced into the market, so the flood out west that we saw a month ago, uh, that's a good example of, of you know, um, potential factors that may uh, potentially slow down the economy and potentially takes another rate hike off the table. So next year, um, I think potentially what may happen is that you get a steepening of the yield curve, meaning that uh, the five rate hikes that the market is anticipating right now um, or to happen in 2022, those potentially get further, you know, pushed out further across the curve. So rates on the short end of the curve potentially may move down, but then rates on the mid part of the curve, so let's call it, you know, the four to seven year term, uh, that could potentially move higher. So in terms of fixed income and where the opportunities uh, may arise in 2022, I think there's different ways of playing it. I think if you want to take a contrarian approach, uh, something like a ZCS, which is our short-term corporate bond ETF, so that invests in 
uh, Canadian corporate bonds between, uh, you know, with a maturity between one to five years. Um, I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think as rate expectations get pushed out further out the curve and you get a moderation of rates on the short end of the curve, that could have a positive impact in terms of the duration for short-term bonds. In addition to that, you know, when you look at the economic data, economic data overall still seems like it's improving. So unemployment numbers continue to go down. Um, I think that has a potential positive impact on you know, credit spreads for the short end of the curve. Another thing to highlight is that when you look at you know, the short end of the curve, um, it tends to be overweight banks. Uh, most of the bank issuance tends to happen on the short end of the curve. So if you do get a steepening of the yield curve, as we anticipate, what potentially could happen is that you know, that tends to be beneficial for banks, all things remaining equal. Um, another way to play it, so if you want to take a more conservative approach, we talked about ZST, I think, a couple of weeks ago on this call. Uh, we still continue to like that. I mean, if you want to be conservative, um, you know, what we do with this ETF is we hold uh, bonds that mature in less than one year. Um, so this makes a lot of sense if you want to be conservative because, you know, because the bonds are held until maturity, uh, investors in this ETF essentially earn their yield to maturity. Um, on top of that, because we are holding bonds until maturity, um, any kind of interest rate volatility that happens on the short end of the curve, um, that's going to be superficial in nature because, you know, ultimately the bonds uh, end up at par value when they mature anyway. Uh, the last way to play it, I think, you know, um, you go with what's working. So obviously, you know, two things that have been working is um, you know, preferred shares in Canada, U.S. tips in, in the U.S. Uh, so that's a good way to hedge against, you know, rising rates. So as, as we mentioned, you know, if we continue to see rate expectations potentially get pushed out the curve, that's potentially good for the five-year Government of Canada rate, which obviously is good for uh, the Canadian rate reset market, uh, which makes up the majority of the preferred share market in Canada. Um, obviously, you know, their dividend rate is going to be tied to the five-year uh, Government of Canada rate. Um, in addition to that, as I mentioned, I think U.S. tips, uh, that's a good way to hedge against inflation um, because U.S. tips are tied to CPI. And as we continue to see inflation, that is a natural way of, of hedging out inflation because uh, ZTIP um, focuses on the short end of the curve. Uh, that gives you a, a, essentially a pure play of hedging out inflation without having to worry about longer term interest rates. Um, so, you know, I would say there's many different ways in which you can play um, what goes on in the fixed income market. But, you know, based on the current outlook, I would say, you know, there's there's three ways to play it. Take, taking the contrarian approach, uh, which means ZCS. Uh, but also, if you want to be conservative, ZST, and then the third way, if you want to continue with you know, what's been working, uh, ZPR and ZTIP are, are all good options. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Well, certainly, just pulling up a quick chart of uh, ZAG, or aggregate bond, versus ZTIP, they, uh, they, they almost look like they march exactly opposite. So certainly, that's one that's picking up a lot of interest, particularly the hedge version, uh, ZTIP.F. Great, but a good uh, a good conversation there through fixed income. Lots of things to think about per usual heading into the next year. If you're looking for timely insight, check out Portfolio Manager Alfred Lee's latest trade tip on the Canadian ETF dashboard, where Alfred discusses a more defensive approach to equity investing and how BMO's quality-based ETFs hone in on blue-chip companies with economic moats and the potential to outperform in uncertain times. Now available at bmoetfs.ca.
I want to switch gears now and talk about ESG ratings. Uh, as we saw a report come out, certainly questioning the ESG ratings coming from MSCI. I think a lot of advisors have picked that up. It kind of reminds me of the early days in ETFs where we saw a lot of articles coming out, possibly from active managers, you know, saying that ETFs were a market risk. So, you know, as a new thing comes out, it certainly disrupts what's been there before and causes incumbents to, you know, come after a little bit. So recognizing that there are different approaches to ESG ratings, how does MSCI rate companies? And I think it's important to think of it across the spectrum of E, S, and G. And then again, how are companies selected for the ESG leaders index that we follow? Thanks. Sure. So why don't we start with um, how the companies are selected for the MSCI leaders indexes, which is the family of indexes that are um, ESG-related ETFs uh, track. So one important thing to note is that for these indexes, um, they're designed to be, you know, provide market exposure, uh, to be sector neutral with the parent index as well. Uh, why that's important is because, you know, a lot of investors, uh, they do have the mandate to be, you know, benchmark aware. So to maintain a very you know, low tracking error to the parent index, you know, whether that's the MSCI Canada index, uh, the MSCI US, or even something like the S&P 500. Uh, for these investors, if they do want to maintain a low tracking error, but at the same time make an impact, when it comes to these ESG investing, uh, this is you know these ETFs or these indexes have been the natural uh, transition into ESG investing. Uh, but it, in terms of how you know the leaders indexes essentially pick their companies, uh, they essentially pick the best in-class companies. So this means that you know when you take uh, certain companies, they're going to be compared against you know similar companies within their their own industry uh, subgroup. So. Uh, let's take, for example, if you take something like an Exxon, uh, they're going to be compared against the Chevron or a ConocoPhillips. You know, Exxon is not going to be compared versus a Google or a Bank of America or even a McDonald's. So, you know, each of those companies belonging to different sub-industry groups, uh, they're going to have specific metrics that apply to them. So, uh, MSCI actually uses uh, 150, 158 different sub-industry groups. Um, and again, you know, all of them are going to have specific criteria that they're going to be measured against as well. So, you know, when you look at something like water stress scores, um, that's going to be more relevant to, let's say, a soft drink manufacturer. So something like a, a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola, uh, they're going to be measured more against the water stress score compared to like, you know, something like a bank or an insurance company or even a technology company. Uh, one important thing to note is also these criteria that the sub-industry groups are going to be measured against, they're going to be reviewed on an ongoing basis. So there is an annual re review. Uh, they're going to be recalibrated on an annual basis as well. And, and why that's important is because, you know, as the ESG landscape continues to evolve, uh, these index indexes are going to be able to evolve with the times as well. So they're not going to be outdated. So what is more relevant on an ESG factor five years from now, uh, the indexes are going to be able to evolve over time. Uh, on top of that, I would say it's a very dynamic process um, because there's different metrics being used for all the various sub-investment groups. MSCI doesn't just take a blanket approach to compare you know, all the companies across the investable universe. It is, it is very uh, specific depending on what sub-industry group you belong to. So you know, certain industries, the environmental factor could have more importance, whereas you know, other companies, uh, the social aspect is going to be more critical. So 
um, you know, when I looked at the article, um, I, I felt the article was very focused on one specific factor in ESG, which was the environmental factor, which admittedly is very important. But when you look at ESG, it's not just about climate change. It's not just about reducing your carbon footprint. Um, the social aspect and the corporate governance aspect is also very important as well. So um, I think when you look at the screening criteria, you know, as I mentioned with the, you know, e, the E, the S and the G criteria, um, you know, different companies, but depending on what industry subgroup they belong to, um, there's going to be different weightings applied to, you know, the environmental and the social. And then within those buckets, they're going to have different screening criteria as well. Uh, what's universally applied to all uh, companies within the indices, however, is that they're all going to be measured um, in terms of corporate governance as well. So a couple other things I want to highlight in terms of the screening process. You know, as I mentioned, um, the, the key criteria that the sub-investment groups are going to be measured against are, are reviewed on an annual basis, and they're going to be recalibrated. So as I mentioned, that's going to be able to allow the indexes to be more adaptable. Uh, but the screening process also has a very highly quantitative process as well. So it uses you know, third-party data from academics, from NGOs, um, from scientific and regulatory databases. And last but not least, another important factor or uh, an important step in, in the screening process is that um, it is vetted by clients. So they do have a formal annual consultation period um, where you know I think is a very important feature because MSCI does have a very large uh, ESG user base. It, this does give the opportunity for those users and the clients to essentially, um, you know, um, raise any concerns that they have for the methodology. So, you know, overall, when I looked at the article, um, I felt it didn't really, didn't really capture the true spirit of ESG investing and focused more specifically on, on certain parts of ESG investing, which was uh, the envir environmental aspect and also the uh, more specifically, the carbon emissions uh, element as well. I think we have time for one more last one. If we if we go through this a little bit quicker, um, it's been an excellent year for Canadian equities. Certainly, we've seen cyclical exposures. I'll list banks, energy, and industrials uh, certainly being leaders for 2022. If you look at our three ETFs that cover the space, ZEO for energy. ZIN for industrials and ZEB for banks. What would be your pick between those three sectors? Thanks. Oh, see, that's a good question. Um, a very tough one. I'd say, you know, when you look at all three of those sectors, I'd say they're very well positioned. Um, so energy is very well positioned. Um, industrial is very well positioned as well. Uh, but I would say those, you know, both of those two sectors um, definitely have an element that is more dependent on, you know, what goes on with the pandemic. Um, when I look at the banks overall, I think there's a, there's a lot of tailwinds going on for the banking uh, sector overall. So, um, you know, banks, I would say, you know, they're leveraged to economic activity. So as, as the economy continues to expand, there's going to be more demand for things like loans, uh, credit, mortgages, uh, so on and so forth, which is going to be a positive for earnings. So when you look at the earnings on a lot of the or the big six Canadian banks, um, you know, the earnings have grown. Um, at a pretty impressive rate over the last year. So uh, average year-over-year year earnings per share growth has been 47%. So that's pretty impressive for the sector. Uh, we also talked about, you know, the steepening, potential steepening of the yield curve earlier on in the call. Um, typically, you know, all things remaining equal, the steeper the yield curve, the better it is for banks as they tend to borrow on the short end and lend on the long end. Um, on top of that, 
Also, when you look at the valuation in the banking sector, the big six Canadian banks currently have a P ratio of about 11 times earnings. When the, when you compare that to the TSX, TSX has a current P ratio of 18.6 times earnings. So a lot of investors, as the market continues to um, become more fairly valued, I would say, you know, they're going investors are going to be looking for pockets of uh, pockets of the market where they're going to be able to find attractive valuations. And I think banks are one of those areas. Uh, on top of that, when you look at, you know, dividend heights, the, the Canadian banking sector has a good history of, you know, continuously raising dividends. So BMO is a good example of this, where they recently announced that they're going to hike their quarterly dividend rate from $1.06 to $1.33 per share. Um, so I think as dividends continue to increase in the sector, that's going to attract a lot of investors, not just because of the lower valuations, but also because of those dividend hikes as well. So um, I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think all three sectors that you mentioned, industrials, uh, energy, and banks, all very well positioned. But I think, you know, banks are the best position. I think uh, if you want to get easy exposure to the banks, there's ZEB, which is our equal weight uh, banks ETF. We recently cut the fee to 25 basis points. And for those investors that want to get a little bit more yield, there's ZWB, which is our uh, covered call banks ETF. So not only does it invest in the big six Canadian banks, but we also write call options against these positions where uh, investors not just get uh, the only, you know, not only do they get the underlying dividend yields, but they get a tax efficient yield through that covered call uh, option overlay strategy as well. So we recently put out a podcast uh, which featured uh, Chris Eeks off of our desk. Um, I think that podcast was released um, yesterday or, or two days ago, but it, it's a more in-depth dive of the Canadian bank. So, um, you know, make sure you check that out if you want to do more of a deep dive on the Canadian banks. Great. Thanks for that update, Alfred. I think that's all the questions we have time for today. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. We certainly appreciate your time. I want to thank, of course, Alfred and Chris, some really insightful comments going across markets, across asset classes. So some good thoughts to put in everyone's head into 2022. And I do want to remind everyone that this will be our last call of the year, taking a little break for the holidays. So we look forward to reengaging with you in the new year. So with that, I want to thank everyone one last time and have a great end of the year. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McCanny, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about investment strategies to prepare portfolios for 2022, including the BMO MSCI USA High Quality Index ETF, ZUQ, which exposes investors to companies that are quality-oriented and a strong defense to volatility. Our experts also discussed the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, ZST, and the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF, ZTIP, or ZTIP as a means to hedge inflation without exposure to longer-term interest rates. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance.
Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.